0: Thank you, Owen, for leading us in worship. Uh, My name is Dave. I'm part of the leadership team here at Foundation Church. And I want to add my welcome to everyone viewing this today, whether you're part of Foundation Church normally or whether you have just happened to come upon this site uh, today. When we launched Foundation Church just a few months ago, we set out some key pursuits that are important to us as individuals and as a church. We wanted to make sure that anyone who joined us understood these things so that we could move forward together. These key pursuits are knowing Jesus, growing like Jesus, and going with Jesus. And all of this for the glory of God, not for our own pleasure or renown. These we believe to be the hallmarks of a true Christian a committed follower of Jesus. We've recently started a new teaching series entitled Faith That Works, looking at the letter of James, who was a leader in the early Jerusalem church, and he wrote this letter to first century Christians. He's writing to Jewish believers who had been scattered beyond the borders of Israel because of persecution that followed the stoning of of Stephen. In this letter, James gives practical advice on a whole range of subjects, often not dwelling for very long on any one topic. However, one thing comes through to you as you read the whole letter, and that is his desire for a people who take their faith seriously and seek to live it out faithfully day by day. He wants them to be committed followers of Jesus, Just as we're seeking to be in Foundation Church. I'm going to continue that series by looking at James chapter 1 and verses 19 to 26. I'm going to read these verses to you, and I'd encourage you to follow the words in your own Bible or as they appear on the screen. Let's read. My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray, shall we? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word given to us, given to us for our benefit, for our instruction, for our correction, and that we might live lives that are more like that of Jesus. And I pray today... as we open your word up, that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we will be not just hearers of your word today, but we will seek to take things from it that we can implement into our lives this coming week. Would you speak to us and would you just open our hearts to hear your word right now, in Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, James writes about what it means to be a Christian. And it's important to remember that, as we noted earlier, he's writing to Christians. I want to look at three aspects of what James wrote in giving guidance on how to live the Christian life. And these speak very much to a couple of our key pursuits, namely growing like Jesus and going with Jesus. Firstly, being a committed follower of Jesus involves taking on different values and behaviours. When we talk about knowing Jesus, that's just the start. Our sins are forgiven, we're made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We then begin a journey in which we seek, day by day, to become more like Christ. This is a process in which Aided by and in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, we recognize and address sin in our lives, whether it's in thought or in word or in deed. In these verses, James addresses some of the ongoing sin he must have seen in the early church. He talks of anger, of moral filth, and of the evil that is so prevalent This suggests that these aren't momentary lapses, that this behavior is still widespread and common throughout the early church. Maybe the fact that these Christians were living in exile meant that they'd fallen back into some of their old ways. But he doesn't just tell them to get rid of these things. He tells them how to. At the end of verse 21, he tells them to humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So let's look at that. The imagery of something planted was used by Jesus when he told the parable of the sower, recorded in Mark's Gospel and chapter 4. He talked of different responses to the Word of God or the Gospel, likening them to the nature of the land on which the seed fell. You see, there was nothing different about the seed that the sower scattered. What made all the difference was where that seed landed. The seed that landed on the path or in rocky places or among the thorns had in itself the same capacity to grow and produce a plentiful crop as that that landed on the good land. There was nothing wrong in the seed. The result of the seed landing was determined by the soil, not by the seed. People who hear the gospel, accept it, and seek to grow more like Jesus, produce a plentiful harvest. But then there were three other types described in that parable. Some hear the gospel, and that's the end of it. The seed doesn't even germinate That's like the seed that falls on the path. For some, the gospel message is received with enthusiasm and joy, but it's superficial. And when difficulties come, maybe as we're experiencing today, they fall away. That's like the seed falling on the rocky ground. It's this next category that seems best to describe what James was concerned about in those he was writing to. Jesus tells us that the seed took root and was growing, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In essence, their own evil desires and the sin they lead to results in them being unfruitful. He was warning them to stay on track, to persevere. In chapter 3 of his letter to the Colossian church, the first century apostle Paul urges them to have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. He tells them not to be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshipping the things of this world. These things may have featured in our earlier lives before we became Christians, but they should have no place now. Paul goes on to say, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another and if, if, if any of if you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Friends, we know we'll never attain perfection in this life. But let's be serious about dealing with the sin in our own lives. Let's be quick to confess when we know we've done wrong and seek to put on our new self so that our lives increasingly reflect the one in whom we trust. Secondly, being a committed follower of Jesus involves reading his word. In the passage we read, James tells us not to merely listen to the word, it seems he's taking it for granted that these early Christians are hearing the word or listening to the word. They're getting teaching. He's not in any way downplaying the importance of hearing the word, but he does urge them to go further. And we'll look at this aspect later. For the Christian, feeding on God's word is not an optional extra. It's a necessity. It's by reading this book that we learn about the God of creation, about man's rebellion against God, about God's dealings with his people over many generations, about God's ultimate rescue plan for mankind in sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins and to make it possible for us to become part of God's family and to know the promise of eternal life with him. It's an amazing story. But it's so much more than that. It's by reading it that we get to know the mind of the author. We gain an understanding of the nature of God. We get to know Him. This, the Bible, is God's word to us, written down by men, but wholly inspired by God Himself. And it's given to us for a purpose, not just as a good read, or a historical account. It's given to us to change our lives. In his second letter to Timothy, the the Apostle Paul talks about Scripture, or the Bible, as we would call it. He wrote, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped, equipped, for every good work. The Bible reveals to us God's plans for us. It shows us where we're straying from his ways and gives us redirection. It helps us to live out our lives becoming more like Jesus. It helps us in our daily walk with him and equips us to do the things he wants us to do. A recent LifeWay research study found only 45% of those regularly attending church in America read the Bible more than once a week. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible, essentially the same number who say they read it every day. We may like to think the UK is different, but I fear it's not. The Bible Society here in the UK surveyed British children, and found that many could not identify common Bible stories. When given a list of stories, almost one in three didn't choose the nativity as part of the Bible. And over half, 59%, didn't know that Jonah being swallowed by the great fish is in the Bible. British parents didn't do much better. Around 30% of parents didn't know Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, or the Good Samaritan, are in the Bible. Just as food and drink is essential for our physical well-being, so reading the Bible and feeding on its teaching is essential for our spiritual growth and well-being. Without reading our Bibles, we will not grow. Our development will be stunted. We will be like spiritual babes. A couple of weeks ago, After online church, some of us stayed online for coffee over a Zoom call. One of our members, Helen, was online from the hospital where her her very premature baby had been cared for over the previous six weeks. Her daughter was now reaching the stage where she could be discharged from hospital. And there was a real sense of joy from the rest of the group as Helen shared how her baby daughter had doubled her birth weight over the past few weeks. And she was now an astounding uh, four pounds, 12 ounces. So how is it for you? What's your weight now compared with when you first became a Christian? No, no, not physically. We might not wish to reveal that, but rather spiritually. Have you put on weight? The writer to the Hebrews likens God's word to food. Food. His readers were not recent converts. They'd been Christians for some time. And he doesn't pull his punches. In chapter 5 of Hebrews, we read that he tells them that they are slow to learn. He goes on to say, and I'm reading from verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with a teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Could these words have been written to us? Are we still having to be fed on milk when we should be on to solid food? For us, is reading God's word our staple diet, or do we treat it like some snack we eat while we're doing other things? Do we feast on his word, taking time over reading it and understanding what it's saying to us and what we should do about it, or do we rush it like we rush some meals so we can move on to other things that consume our time and attention. At this time of COVID-19 pandemic, some of you are still working from home with the added challenge of child minding and homeschooling. For many of us, we have more time available as we're not commuting and we're not able to go out and socialize and do things that we're used to doing. Let's use that time wisely. I don't know if it's just me, I suspect not, but I can find all manner of things to fill my time other than read my Bible. And when I do start to read it, distractions come. Friends, let's persevere. Let's dig into God's word. Let's be feasters and not snackers. And then thirdly, being a committed follower of Jesus involves doing what his word tells us to do. In verse 22, James urges his readers, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This is probably the best known verse in this passage. James is serious about this. He makes it absolutely clear That while it's good to be hearing and reading God's Word, that isn't sufficient. The Word is given to us so that we can see the change that's needed if our lives are going to become more aligned to what we see in Jesus. When we come to God's Word, we need to come not to increase our head knowledge, but to have our hearts changed. How are you at doing what you're told? or following instructions. We all have to do it in life, and we learn from very early on the consequences of not doing so. As a result of coronavirus, we're all in lockdown, and the kids are at home. I wonder in how many households the words, do as you're told, please, have been uttered this past week. We've seen adverts in the newspapers and even received a letter from 10 Downing Street telling us what we must do at this time to stop spreading the virus and to protect the NHS. In our jobs, I guess most of us have job descriptions in one form or another, and failing to perform in line with these has consequences for us. The truth is, though, that just like our kids, we don't always do as we're told. Sometimes we fail to follow guidance or instructions. There's a ford near where I live through which runs what is normally a very shallow river. Following rains, this river can become quite deep and fast flowing, and despite very clear warnings on each side of the ford, the owner of the adjacent property regularly has to rescue cars and their drivers from the river. In this current season, maybe we're tempted to feel that the government's guidelines on social distancing and not travelling unnecessarily don't apply to us. These are just simple examples. I guess we could all think of many others, including where our own failures to follow guidance have had unfortunate or disastrous consequences for us. So why do we ignore instructions? Maybe we think they apply to other people and not to us, or that we don't need them. We can figure these, out, these things out for ourselves. We're clever enough. We're technical enough. James gives us an instruction to help reinforce uh, sorry, an illustration to help reinforce the importance of implementing God's word in our lives. Is that of someone looking in a mirror? something we each do every day. And James contrasts two approaches to this. The mirror is the same in both instances. What the person sees in each case is the same. It's what happens after they've looked that differs. So the mirror stands for the Word of God, and when any of us look into that mirror, we're confronted with our own imperfections our spots and our blemishes, if you like. God's word reveals to us areas in our lives where we aren't yet conformed to his will. It reveals our sin and our shortcomings. And it demands a response. In the first example, a person goes away and forgets what he's seen. He's read the word, he knows what it says, but he does nothing about it. And as a result his life doesn't become closer to that of Christ. In contrast, there's the person who, having seen their blemishes, perseveres and continues in the Word, takes it seriously and seeks to apply it in their life, and in so doing is blessed and gradually becomes more like Christ. It's great if we're spending time reading our Bibles every day. I know a number of us are participating in community Bible reading, each day looking with others at the same passage from the Bible and then sending comments on it to one another. Others of us are following different schemes, such as reading the Bible in the year. My encouragement to all of us would be to ask God, What are you saying to me through what I've read today? And then to share with God and with others in your Bible reading or life group, what you're planning to do or do differently as a result of what you've read. It's great when we share with others because it adds a level of accountability where we can spur one another on in our walk with God. How we live our lives is so important. It's important for our relationship with God but it's also important in terms of how we are viewed by others. Dwight Moody, Moody the uh, 19th century American evangelist is quoted as saying, out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. People are watching you. I say that not so that you can put on a show, I say it as an encouragement to us to live lives that display God's glory. Lives that show those around us what Jesus was like. When writing to the Ephesian church, Paul urges them to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Have you lapsed back into the sins and behaviors that defined you before you were a Christian? Owen spoke the other week about us living as exiles in this land, displaying the values and behaviours of God's kingdom. Let's seek to live lives that are pleasing to God and that will mark us out as being followers of Jesus. We're going to conclude our online meeting with another song led by Owen. But as you reflect on this message over this next week and on the passage that we've considered today, let me encourage you not just to read your Bibles but to act on what you read. Let the word impact your behaviors, shape your character, direct your decision-making and guide you in the way you relate to other people. All for the glory of God.